Axiom, the tasty truth. Style with Elder Bryson. I'm here with the band Just a Ride, or at least one member of them. How was it going, bud? It's good, man. It's good. Really, really cool to to talk to you. Hey, everybody. Yeah, howdy. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see. Uh, you guys are from. We're from all over the UK. We're kind of a strange band. We were doing the whole like remote being in a band together before it was cool. Um, so we actually live, um, like in literally different parts of the country. So I don't know how good everybody's geography is, but, uh, we're from the UK. Uh, we have our bass player, Russ. He lives in Brighton, which is on the South coast. We have our guitarist, Drew, who lives in Andover, which is kind of heading towards the West of the country, the Southwest. Uh, I live in Nottingham. I'm Rod. I'm the lead singer. I live in Nottingham, which is like in the Midlands. And then our drummer, uh, Alex lives in Yorkshire, which is like two hour drive from me. So if um, if Russ needs to go to Alex, it's probably like a four and a half hour drive. Um, so yeah, we we basically for, for years had been you know doing remote writing sessions and all this sort of stuff. So um, you know when the world stopped in 2020, we were kind of like yeah, same th- same for us. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. I mean, I mean, I did I did actually shit my pants um, for about <laughs> three weeks. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to come old blase. I, I really did think the end times were coming, but, uh, after those first three weeks, I was fine. Yeah. I mean, they still might be, you know, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so being so far apart, how'd you guys like, how, what's the origin story? How'd you guys get started? So it's a, it's a really, we've, it's a really weird one. So, um, myself and the guitarist Drew. Years and years and years ago, we were in a uh, band, or I was in I was in a band um, called uh, Violent Delight when I was a teenager, uh, and we got signed to a major when I was about fifteen, and um, we were with Warner Brothers for like three years, and um, the band started to fall apart a little bit, and that's when I met Drew, who replaced the original guitar player in the band. Drew came into the band probably about three three months before we got dropped from our record label and uh you know everything kind of went a bit tits up um but we formed quite uh like we formed a good kind of like working relationship a bit of a friendship and and we ended up staying in touch um but you know for me i kind of got quite burnt by my experience with the music industry um i spent another few years you know trying to get back into it again and 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 really fell out of love with it and ended up probably for about 10 years maybe even longer, just not doing any music at all, uh, just becoming a complete hermit from it, just, you know, writing off. And I, I ended up actually moving away from my hometown, moving somewhere else, and, and ended up almost um, almost having another life where people had no association with me and music. So, like, for example, my wife, um, I think even when we were married, she'd never seen me perform music or anything like that. Knew I was into it or whatever, but 
you know, sees it differently. Whereas like my childhood friends are like, can't, um, what's the word? Can't separate music from me. Um, so literally like one night, um, I, I was coming home. I think I was quite, quite drunk. I was walking home and I got these, um, like Facebook messages from Drew and Drew was starting a project and he was in need of a singer and he was apparently he he was quite drunk as well and had thought of me and was just like why aren't you doing anything come on give this a go and I was drunk enough to go yeah send me the tracks I'll give it a go um and that's kind of how just a ride got started so it actually um all started with each other sending audio files backwards and forwards so in terms of like the evolution of the band like even since day one um we've never really lived particularly close together we've we've kind of done that whole remote writing thing um and we probably wrote like this on and off for maybe a year 18 months so not really taking it seriously as like booking gigs and doing all that sort of stuff. We just, we just were writing like um, that was kind of like the first steps of getting back into music, which was kind of quite therapeutic. And, you know, you kind of like get back on the horse and go, Oh yeah, I really did miss doing this. This is, uh, this is really cool. And as it, as it picked up, we ended up, um, we ended up deciding, okay, well let's, let's take it a little bit further. Um, Drew had been writing also with, uh, uh, our original bass player, Eddie. Um, and then we found a uh, drummer, Alex. Um, and we, we got together, we did a little kind of demo. We played a few gigs. Um, it, it kind of went cool. And then I decided to go and live in Amsterdam for a year, um, which kind of scuppered the band a little bit. Uh, I, I stayed there for a year in that year. Um, Drew, uh, started playing in, in another band, uh, called Inglorious, who I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but you know, they're, they're a cool kind of rock band in the UK. They, they were, they were doing, doing great things. So just a ride kind of took a little bit of a backseat, bit backseat to that. Um, but then when I came back, we were like, okay, let's give just a ride another go. And then Eddie, unfortunately, you know, personal circumstances meant that he had to move back to his native Brazil. So we were like, oh man, you know, now we're without a bass player. And that's when we met, uh, Russ, who was actually the videographer for uh, a video that we put out, um, actually quite a while ago. It seems like it's new because we released it in 2020, but we'd actually recorded it, uh, you know, quite a long, quite a long time before that. And, uh, we were like, yeah, you know, let's give Russ a try. And then I think when Russ came in the band, um, it, it coincided about the time, I think that, uh, Drew finished up with, with Inglorious and, you know, wanted to make this his kind of main focus. And, and since then, um, we've kind of, well, yeah. And then it was like, yeah, let's, let's go for it. Let's give this a go. And then COVID happened. So <laughs> we then had like a year. Um, but one of the good things about it was, like I said, we were used to the idea of writing remotely and, and, and it, it actually, it put a lot of things in perspective and it allowed us to finally kind of put together an album, finish it. And one of the things I think we did, which was really smart was kind of quite early in the lockdown. We just kind of tapped up people that could record us and just basically had some agreements. Like as soon as the, the restrictions lift, we're in the studio. Cause you know, I mean, you, you've just got to, you know, play the, 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 the cards that you've been dealt. And we were like, well, there are so many people that, you know, producers and mixers and whatever, that are probably, probably desperate for work. So it ended up, ended up in the studio in uh, September, October, did the record, 
Um, it's taken a little while to, to, to get it finished. Um, we had a few ups and downs with mixers and bits and pieces, but eventually it all worked out uh, nicely. And the record is all mixed, um, being mastered at the moment as we speak, and hopefully will be out sometime towards the end of the year. Obviously, you know, the way I think people consume music now, it would be great. We would love it to just drop the record and just put it out there. But you know, being the self-promoted potion promotion whores that you need to be in 2021, we're just going to drip it out. Um, you know, a single every six weeks and, and and kind of go from there. But you know, we're kind of we're kind of like old dogs trying to learn new tricks and navigating navigating the world uh, in a music industry that's very different from our, from what I recall. You know, I'm, I don't consider myself to be like ancient, but because I think my experience in the music industry was in the early 2000s when I was a teenager, you know, that industry is completely different now. It, it literally couldn't be further apart. It's almost like you, it, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie California Man about like the caveman that wakes up in like 90s California. I kind of feel like that when I think about the music industry because in, in, it's almost, called Encino Man. But yes, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. So in England, it's called uh, it's called uh, California Man because I don't think um, I don't think we were kind of smart enough to know uh, the, um, the, the. I can't even say Encino Man. I mean. I don't know. It's just it's, a city uh, in California. It, it makes it's, sense. But. It's, it's, a, it's a very strange, it's a very strange thing because like, you know, that's like the opposite. Cause like, I know like when I go to the States, like the, you have, we have a burger called big tasty, but you guys call it big and tasty because apparently like just calling it big tasty would throw you off. But it, I mean, if that throws you off, but you know what an Encino man is, it, there's just some sort of cognitive dissonance there. <laughs> I, I would I would say you're probably right. I don't know. I think maybe the marketers just uh, misunderestimate the capabilities of uh, Americans, but sometimes that's rightfully so. Uh- <laughs> I'll tell you another good. I'll tell you another good one, just as a weird one. So my wife, she uh, she's Polish, and um, she was she was telling me that um, Die Hard is just called the Glass Tower. What? What? Yeah, because it's a description of the skyscraper. Wow, that's yeah. I, you know, she was, and, and I remember she was trying to explain this. Oh, have you seen the glass tower? I'm like, uh, <laughs> no. What's that? Is is that like labyrinth? Has it got David Bowie in or something? And she's like, it's it's got it's got Bruce Willis, and he's fighting all these terrorists, and he's like crawling through. And I'm like, are you talking about Die Hard? She's like, no, no, the glass tower. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> it may, maybe maybe this is like a remake or like you know they were trying you know. A few years later, some director was trying to rehash it, and no, it turns out it, it was it was uh, Die Hard. So yeah, that, anyway, <laughs> that's absolutely wild. I love it. Um, let's backtrack here, like just a lot. Um, one of the first things you said that I feel like we kind of glossed over that needs to be discussed is you were assigned to a major at fifteen. What did that do to your head? Oh, it was it was probably the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. Um, but it was uh, it was a great experience. I mean, look, it shapes who you are. Um, and, um, you know, it's really easy. Like people would always say, like, oh, you know, don't believe the hype. Like things, things could go badly. Um, and I was like, yeah, of course they will. Um, and just just enjoy it um, at the time. I think the it, it's. It's it's a strange thing because it's like on one side of things, when I look back on it, 
you look back on it with really kind of like rose tinted glasses and it was really cool. Um, and like I said, it definitely shapes, um, it shapes who you are. Um, you know, obviously it has a huge impact on you. Like I never finished school and I never basically like, I didn't finish like your equivalent of high school. Um, and you know, that obviously puts you in a, a different kind of when it all falls apart. Um, you know, literally from, you know, there was a period of time where literally one day we were playing festivals in front of like 10, 15,000 people. And three months later, you're washing dishes in a restaurant, you know, and when you're 18 and you've gone from being, you know, the person that everybody wants to talk to and the center of attention and then all of a sudden you are literally like at the bottom rung of the ladder. Um, it's really, it's really odd. And, and, and it's just, I mean, this might sound like egotistical and crazy, but, um, when, when I was in the band, like everyone knew who you were. And if you think about your formative years, if you think about like, um, from and, and also like being being like a young kid that got a deal it was like from age 12 to 15 there was not really much going out it was five nights a week you're rehearsing you, you know what i mean like you're learning your yeah. craft you're, do, you're doing all of these things um and you know once you get signed and you know you're on television and you know we had like top 40 singles like you know you know it was it was kind of a big deal and in my town like everyone knew pretty much who i was um and, and, and whatever. And, and it was cool, but, but like, also then it was like, everyone just wanted to hang out with you or, or say hello to you or, or, or see you or, or whatever. And I remember like maybe a year afterwards, you know, just going to like a bar or something. And, you know, the concept of some, somebody would say like, Oh, why don't you go and like talk to that girl over there? And I'm like, oh, she'll come and talk to me, won't she? <laughs> and it's like, Oh, oh, my, my powers are waning. It was kind of like, it's kind of like, you know how Superman gets affected by kryptonite, but it was kind of like, it was a bit slower acting like that. But then one day you just realize, oh no, this is, this is like, it's all gone. Like no one, no one cares. You know, you have to actually be, you know, what's really strange. Cause you, you, you would, you would just constantly be surrounded by people that just wanted to talk about you to you at you. So the concept of trying to like meet new people and, and, uh, and, and, you know, have to talk about them. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of a little bit odd. And the other thing that was, I mean, in hindsight it was a bit mean, but it's karma and you probably just get your comeuppance. I used to have a lot of people, like I was working like this restaurant. Um, I quickly got out of the kitchen and like onto the floor, which was great and all because you got a bit more money, but it also just left you open to every, you know, like, you know, local scenes are like every person who, you know, didn't like the fact that you had been this band or whatever could come up to you while you were working and just take the piss out of you basically. And there was literally nothing you could do because you don't want to lose your job. That was, that was, uh, that was a bit hard, <laughs> but yeah. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's like, yeah, you know, it was it was cool. But one of the other things as, as well, that it, it was in some regard um, kind of quite disappointing because when you're a kid, when I was a kid or like when I was like 14, you know, I wanted to get a record deal. I wanted to meet all my heroes. I wanted to play the Reading Festival and I wanted to have a song on the TV and I wanted to like and and essentially I feel like 
that stage, I didn't accomplish what I should have accomplished. However, when you get older, you reflect on it and you think, well, yeah, this, what I would consider, you know, maybe like possibly like the biggest failure of my life. A lot of people would consider that a great success. And I think like, as you get older, you look back on it and you go, yeah, you know, okay. You know, not everyone can end up being you too. I mean, some people like wouldn't want to be you too either. Um, but, but, you know, just, just the fact that you kind of, you kind of got there and you experienced some of those things I, I think is, is pretty amazing. And, and, you know, I've got great memories and I've got like good scrapbooks and, you know, I'm a bit older now I've got kids and it's like, you know, it's something you can kind of show them and, and be proud of, but, you know, hopefully in the next six months, just a ride will eclipse all of that. And, uh, you know, I'll just be like, this is my Indian summer. And I'll be looking at those times like, Oh, that, that was actually, that was actually the famine. Cause you know, the harvest is now. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's funny because you, you're talking about like, you know, like people like, like every time I've ever met my musical heroes, right? Like I always try to like, I know everybody always just melts and it's like, I love your music. This is my, you're my favorite artist or my favorite song, like something along those lines. I always try to be clever with my comments of like, you know, like, so on this song, what was the guitar pedal that made this noise or whatever dumb question I can come up with, like hoping that <laughs> maybe my question's not as dumb as everyone else's, but I still know it is deep down <laughs> yeah do you know what do you know what like i i, I found because because i would i would try and i, I would try and do something similar because i didn't want to come across like a massive fanboy but what i found the most effective to kind of get people to have conversations with you is just like oh how's your day <laughs> you, you know what i mean like because because the thing is one one of the things uh, and I, I mean you must have this as well like um I, I, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I sometimes like recording. I'm like, the, like a fan might think that that song is the best song ever, but I might go, oh, oh that that recording, oh, I never got it right. You know what I mean? Or like, oh, oh yeah. man, I, I didn't nail the vocal take. So when someone comes in and they start talking in detail about like this, it's like it sometimes awakens this. Oh man, we never got that track right. Or like, and then you kind of. You know, you don't want to act like a dick because you don't want to go, well, actually, I don't like that recording. You, you, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? But so actually, sometimes when people are just like, oh, you know, how's your day going? You're just like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, fantastic. And, and you're probably more likely to have a normal conversation with somebody and actually, I don't know, yeah, have more of an interaction just than someone just going, oh, oh yeah, thanks. Because when when someone's just overly effusive, it, it, you know, unless, unless, you know, you're like a sociopath. Um, it, it generally tends to make people quite uncomfortable. And I mean, you know, I think that's hopefully a sign that I'm not a sociopath. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Though right? some have, yeah, though some have, uh, have made that accusation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, losers. I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> my, uh, my Sorry. crowd favorite when I play live too, is like, yeah, I hate that song. So I get that a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm so, sure everyone does. I'm sure everyone does. Cause it's just like, you, you know, you, you 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 know you don't really know what you've got until it's gone. Because yeah. we had this one song everyone wanted to play, and I remember once our manager was like, "Why don't you play it twice?" I was like, "Why don't you look for another band to manage?" Oh shit! <laughs> Why didn't you play you it know? twice? Fuck. 
to be fair that was that was early days and the reason she wanted us to do that is we were playing we were playing like a show it was essentially like a showcase gig um at a a really cool venue in london called the barfly and and what was really awesome as well was we were actually that night we were supporting a a band who who at the at the time were completely unknown but it was the band called the darkness who went on to be this massive massive band um and her logic was there are a and people coming and blah, blah, blah. And some people are going to come for the beginning of the gig. And some people are going to come for the end of the gig. So you play the, the hit song, first song and last song. And uh, we were, I was just like, I'm not doing that. That's, that's wank. Um, and uh, I just said, yeah, of course we'll do it. And then just played a different song at the end. <laughs> she was pretty pissed, but we got signed. So no harm, no foul. It was fine. Uh, yeah, it's, we're, we're all going to die anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what, is, what does rock and roll mean to you? What does rock and roll mean to me? Oh, I mean, it, it's kind of, um, it's kind of everything, isn't it? Like it's, uh, I mean, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine my life without music, especially now that I feel like I've rediscovered it. Um, I think I, I, I see it a little bit, a little bit like, you know, when I was young, I was really into punk and it was kind of, you know, people say like punk is like a mentality, a way of thinking and and, and, and whatever. And I kind of think rock and roll is, is, is essentially, you know, punk is just an extension of that. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of a way you kind of, way you kind of interact. Um, and, um, you know, it's an energy. I think it's like a creative spark really for, for me. That's, that's what it is. I think it's, it's, it's a release. I think it is, um, I say, um, a lot, um, fuck it again. It's very much, it's very much a way of kind of getting things off, you know, getting things off your chest in a constructive way. Um, I, I always like to be really positive with, um, you know, with music. And I think there's a lot of negativity in the world, probably rightfully so, but I've always kind of felt like, music really makes me feel good when I'm down. Um, there's a great song by Andrew WK, um, who is one of my, like, obviously as someone who loves rock music and being positive, of course, Andrew WK is going to be on my list of, uh, of, of influences, but he has a song off, um, an album he put out called you're not alone. Um, it's the, I think it's the, it's the second track, it's the second track and it's called music is worth living for. And I just think like, yeah, that kind of, I wish I'd written that song because he's managed to articulate it better than I have. And he's written a song about it. And I've just rambled in an interview. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a good mentality for sure. Like I, I'm, I'm one of those sad rockers, right? So like it, it goes a different direction for me, but it, uh, it ends up in the same place. Uh- <laughs> oh, listen, listen, it's the sadness that gives you the, like it, do you know what? It's like a way of processing the sadness and the darkness and trying to turn it into something cathartic and positive. And it doesn't necessarily mean like the message has to be positive, but it's just, it's just that you can take those negative feelings and you can make something with it. You know, you can create something. I think that's, that's the thing. Like, and, and I think, you know, I mean, rock history is littered with, you know, those people that have in, in some way almost martyred themselves, i.e. they, have this kind of darkness inside them. They've created something amazing and it maybe hasn't saved them, but it has definitely touched, you know, the lives of many, many other people as well, you know? So, 
you know, I think about, you know, we're a grunge band and, and I just think about, you know, my heroes from, from that movement, you know, and, 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 and you know, I, I talk to a lot of people and I say like, why did, you know, where's grunge today? And it's like, well, I mean, they're all dead. <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean, it's, you know, Eddie Vedder, Vedder is like last man standing. Um, you know, um, it, it, it's really sad. And, and, and you kind of, you kind of think, you know, I'm sure, you know, the music of, you know, Scott Wheeland and Chris Cornell, um, you know, obviously Kirk Cobain, maybe they didn't manage to overcome their demons, but I'm sure, you know, a net positive is they've, they've definitely helped a lot of people across the world for 30 years, probably get through loads of hard times. So yeah, you know, I, mean, I don't want to say that they're like Jesus or anything like that. I think that's maybe a bridge too far, but you know, maybe, maybe like a, a modern equivalent. I don't, I, I mean, I personally like, but as, as you know, like my whole brand is, you know, taking the piss on religion anyway. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that the net positive for at least our society and culture has been more positive from Scott Weiland than it has been from Jesus. But that would be my opinion that I know is not commonly shared. <laughs> I, I think, I think it, I think it's un, unmistakable, um, who partied harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, um, <laughs> But in, in terms of like who's had a more positive effect on people's like mental well-being uh, versus, you know, the negative effects of people's mental well-being. I don't know. I, I think, you know, like. Yeah, I, think, I probably would agree with you that Scott's, Scott's done a better job. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I think. Mean, um, I've never heard of anybody that... being murdered in the name of Scott Weiland. Like it's, it's not a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was gonna I was gonna say it's like um all of the negatives that came Scott inflicted on himself rather yeah. than um than, than rather than, uh, Yeah. Right. Anyway, I mean, you know, I mean maybe maybe many, many, many years later generations will will form religions around iconic rock stars. Right. Yeah, the Cornellites, right, in the year thirty thirty two, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah you know, that. and and you know, you'll have you'll have like Soundgarden as the Old Testament, and you'll have uh, Audio Slave as the New Testament, um, and then you'll have his album with Timberland as uh, the Book of Mormon. <laughs> yep, oh, Matt, bro, uh, yeah. yeah, if if hell is real, we're we're that's 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 it. We're, we're, we're done. heading there. We're done. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, listen, all the best, all the best music's there. So uh, yeah, right, you're not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, whatever. I'll hang out with Kurt and Scott. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> so on a scale of one to 10, how weird would you say you are? Um, weird is a funny one. I'd say different, probably like a nine. I think I think quite differently to, to, well, I know I think differently to a lot of people. Um, and I could, and, and anyway, weird, weirdness like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, so yeah, if different is weird, yeah, maybe a, maybe a nine, not quite a ten, because I think a ten would be like um, you're not aware of it, or you're uh, or you're just you know the wild man in the desert, which I'm definitely not. But I've always I've always um, I'm a bit of a contrarian. I always just like to go against the grain. You know, I I had this I had this thing about you know when I was a kid being punk rock, and I kind of. I kind of looked at the basic tenets of like what the punk movement was in the seventies 
And I think when I was kind of coming up doing doing my first band in the like late 90s, early 2000s, it was a different kind of punk. And it was just like a new set of rules or a new orthodoxy. And it was like, well, I want to do things that are what I would consider to be really punk, like, you know, being outside of the system and, and, and you know, really rebelling and doing stuff as opposed to what I think especially on the major they were kind of pushing you through which was like well a punk should do this and a punk should do that and it's like well hang on a second well this, this is this is this is like a wolf dressed as, you know um sorry mutton dressed as lamb this isn't this isn't this isn't you know the spirit of the 70s so yeah i mean i yeah i i do tend to kind of yeah i would see myself as as rather um i don't know you say like um yeah just a different perspective on things yeah i like to play yeah. devil's advocate a lot I like to I like to understand what other people are thinking about, and I used to think that everyone did that, um, and I have started to realise probably realised about ten years ago, but really started to realise that I don't think I don't think many people do. <laughs> no, they they really don't because I'm I'm the same way, right? And it's it's been you know one of those things where like it's been going around the internet lately that people who like to play devil's advocate don't actually contribute anything, um, and maybe not while they're doing it. But like, if you're anything like me, the whole reason you play devil's advocate is to try to reinforce your beliefs and see if you're actually right or wrong um, and try to, you know, figure shit out. And I don't think people are really trying to figure shit out anymore. Yeah, I, I think I think I think I think that's I think you absolutely, you know, bang the nail on the head there. People think you're doing it for them. But in a way, you're kind of you you know, you're kind of justifying it to yourself. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a bit of a flip-flopper. I, I, you know, I, I kind of go from, you, you know, I like to think that I could, I don't want to say I could believe anything, um, but I would think about things. I'm, I'm very logical and very rational. And I do try and think about, you know, I'm very much a results person, end result. Like that's what is you know, that is what's important to me. Like I'm, I'm half Chinese. Like, you know, we, we just, it, it doesn't matter how hard you try. Just, it just matters what you achieve at the end of it. You know, um, that's, um, that's kind of how I was brought up. And I think that's how my mind works. And at the same time, I think I am actually quite compassionate in a way because I, I do consider, um, and, and, you know, we just released a song called Razor and, and, and one of the, one of the kind of themes of that song is the battle between kind of your, um, your desire to achieve against what you're willing to do to do that. And yeah, you know, like I'm very results, like this is the result I want, but at the same time you are set parameters of, yeah, but these are the lines you can't cross, you, you, you know, maybe if I didn't have that maybe just being results focused would be quite dangerous. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're, you're very spot on. Cause I've, that's kind of how I grew up too. Like, right. It doesn't matter if you tried, you know, unless you win the Olympics, you, you've failed. Um, you know, like that's, 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 that's how I was raised. So, uh, mm. yeah, I can totally, I can totally relate to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, speaking of your, of your, uh, song razor, I love it. Um, so I think that's a good time for us to go ahead and play it right now. And sweet uh, man, yeah, we'll be right back.
thank you. That's 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 a ride. Uh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> but yeah, killer track, dude. Um, tell us a little bit about like you're obviously doing this across multiple towns across the UK. Tell us about the process of recording and writing that. Um. So. I'm trying to think. Razor actually dates back quite a while. Um, I think to about sort of 2017-ish. Um, we actually, for, for, for people who uh, were detectives, um, we did actually put out a like a demo version of Razor around that around that sort of time, and there was uh, like a self done done video, but that version is is significantly different, um, even structurally, um, to this one. Um, I don't want to sound um, like I have delusions of grandeur, but when we when we write songs, we're often, um, you know, when you're young and you're kind of like, we want to be original. Um, and that's actually really, really, really hard. Um, so I think like we've got to the, the age where you can, you know, you can kind of try to emulate the sounds that you of bands that you like. And what we've kind of done with our music um, on this record is to kind of make like a Frankenstein of songs. So to, to think about different bands that you love and different songs that you love and think, Oh, there's a, there's a section from a song I really like. Um, and there's a section from this song that I really like. And I, and I want to do something a bit like that. And then if you kind of Frankenstein, all those kind of parts that are influenced and you stitch them back together into something new like Frankenstein, your monster will come alive. Uh, and, and it can actually be quite handy. Um, so that's kind of what we did with this track. Um, it actually all started, um, where like the, 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 the three tracks that I really, that we're kind of going for, which I don't actually think have ended up sounding like this, but there was, um, coaching by audio slave was a big one. Um, and I think the original riff we had was more similar to Kochi's, but it, it, it definitely developed into something that's probably un, unrecognizable. Maybe, maybe when I say these tracks, you go, oh, maybe I can see that. Um, <laughs> the kind of the chorus, the kind of yeah, kind of thing. Um, I'd, I'm a really big Bon Jovi fan. So I was kind of thinking of that, that sort of um, 80s big chorus bon jovi uh like living on a prayer start like the style of not like oh we're gonna write living on a prayer but that sort that sort of energy and then um the beginning of the song um there is like a on the on the snare drum and that was really strongly influenced by a track called travel by telephone um by a band called rival schools um so yeah, uh, uh, and again, at one point it sounded quite a lot like that. But then you know, in the you know, as it evolves, and you go, oh, actually, we'll, we'll you know, we'll put the main riff there, and it turns into something different. But yeah, Razor was very much like a, like a Frankenstein. Like let's let's think about all of these artists that we like, and actually, I would say, um, you know, they're all within rock music. Of course, we're not that diverse, but like you know, a kind of. I don't know, like post-hardcore emo band like Rival Schools, you know, 80s kind of, you know, uh, hair metal and um, I guess, you know, Audio Slave. That's quite a range within rock to try and fuse elements together. And hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it necessarily sounds original, but I think it sounds very different from those kind of core elements that we were trying to bring together. 
No, yeah, I can like now that I think about it, I hear that little bit of the tiny bit of Tom Morello influence in there for sure at a minimum. Uh, but yeah, it's not like the, unless you told me that, I would have gone like, oh yeah, that's 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 clearly Cochise. Like it's uh, yeah, you know, like it's but you know, like you you can hear a little bit of like you're 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 wearing new influences on your sleeve, and I love that. That's 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 big to me. Um, well, one of the things one of the things I was going to say is. In the original version we had, um, we we went into the riff um, straight away. So actually, structurally, the song was far more similar to Cochise, and we had a breakdown in the middle. So actually, I think you know that those um, those elements. But then again, you know, I'm sure I'm sure as you find when you write, you start chopping things around, you start changing things around, and, and you know that original idea can morph into something that's almost unrecognizable by the end of it. So, you know, I guess that's just the kind of the evolution of of the song. Oh yeah, all the time. I just released a single not long ago that started off like almost like a bluesy kind of kind of thing, and that it just went like full on hard rock by the time I was done with it. Like it's it's you know I wound up playing it on the on the baritone guitar to give it to make it heavier, and it just it just nice. went in there, you know. So like yeah, I totally get it. Like how things can just you know be one thing when you're first starting out and then you hear something and you change it and all of a sudden you have a brand new thing um I, that's that's one of my favorite things to do uh, <laughs> yeah um, man I, I was gonna i was gonna ask you do you do this thing as well where it's like there's this one riff that you have that you've never managed to finish the song but you've written like eight songs based on this original idea that you can never finish oh i've got a whole folder full of those. Uh, <laughs> I know yeah. you're going to say, I've got a whole series of albums. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 I've got, I've, well, I mean, possibly there's, there's dozens of tracks in that, in that folder. It's just, it's labeled subway on, on my computer. Yeah. And like, it doesn't make, I don't know why, where that came from, but like eventually, you know, half of the stuff I write that comes out of that folder um, of just stuff that just started off as just like, you know, little thing in 6-8 in E that I wanted to make something that gradually changed and changed and changed till I was finally like, that's a song. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yep. So, what's your favorite curse word? Come. Yes. I love, I love you Brits. You're I great. mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think, I think it has far more gravitas in, in the States, but um, yeah, here, I, and, and maybe sometimes if I'm like, um, if I'm really cross, I'll say like a oh, f- cunting fuck or like cunting shit or, you, you know what I mean? Like just, just string them a little bit. Yeah. Um, cunting shit fuck. That's, that's never been, yeah. I don't think anyone in the States has ever said that. And I'm going to start it as let's start the revolution. Uh, but um, please, please do. You should check out. There's a, there's a, uh, you know, for, for, for anybody listening in the UK, there's quite a well-known comedian called Mickey Flanagan, who's like a, like a Cockney geezer. And he talks about uh, the casual cunting. It's like, you know, you're in a serious relationship when you can call your, your, your girlfriend or boyfriend a cunt and they can do the same back to you. And it's not offensive at all. You know, Oh, which cunts move my shoes. It's like casual cunting. Like that's oh, it. Yeah. You know, you're made for each other now. Yeah. That's not a thing here that exists. Like that's, that's, that's how you, you want to end a relationship. That's how you do it. Um, no matter yeah. how far along you are. <laughs> 
Yeah, I always remember. I always remember the. Uh, I don't know if you're a big fan of Kirby enthusiasm, but the episode where um, I think Cheryl's Cheryl's aunt dies, and they want to get they want to get the obituary in the paper, and Larry says he's got a contact and he sorts it out, and he, he they basically make a typo, and they instead of writing our beloved aunt, they write our beloved cunt. <laughs> yep. Oh God, Larry David's brilliant. Master. Oh, man. Legend. <laughs> Legend. Um, this whole last season where he started a spike coffee shop was probably my favorite like, <laughs> thing that's ever happened on TV. Just <laughs> spike story. <laughs> uh, all right. Alternatively, what's your favorite piece of, piece of uh, music equipment? Uh, oh, I, I really like microphones, actually. Um, and I've had... Um, I'm a big fan of Rode microphones, actually, um, and I've I've tried all sorts, but I've got a Rode NT1A that I've had probably for I don't know fifteen, nearly twenty years, and I do all my recording on it. I've got I've, I've bought more expensive ones, but I just go back to it. I just love it. No, I don't no. know. It, it, it's 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 like I just know how to use it, and I, I guess. Uh, probably reveal something that I shouldn't say, but when we went to do our record, I basically ended up re-recording ninety-five percent of the vocals at home on my on my NT one. I just wasn't happy with them, so um, it, it just you know it was it was it was easier to just to re-record them. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I probably, know exactly. That's what probably you my mean. favorite bit of kit. That's, that's, and that's a great, that's a great mic. Like, that's like when people ask me like for recommendations on like starter microphones, they want to start recording. That's what I was, that's like what I was give them. What I use is my favorite microphones to use for vocals are mics that have, are never used on vocals. Uh, and it's so like, it always mess with some mess with people, but they fit my voice. Right. Like I use an SM 57 and, uh, Sennheiser. Uh, 57 is a great. 57s yeah. are, are, are great and um so so um our our album um was mixed by a dude called chris sheldon um who literally was my dream mixer and when i was in the the um the band i was in years and years ago um we we really wanted to get chris to mix our record but there was just scheduling problems and we and we couldn't make it happen um chris has has mixed some really great bands he mixed the color and the shape the foo fighters record um he's mixed pixies um radiohead um block party um feeder just some really really great bands yeah he's a and, monster um, it's really funny talking to him uh, uh yeah and he, he, i think he would produce therapy as well yeah um because we, we were talking I was, we were talking to him the other day and he, he was just like reeling off these names you know he was like oh this irish band called therapy i'm like yeah i know therapy yeah, he's an, <laughs> um, but he was garbage biffy clearer a lot, a lot he's, of he's the, done a bunch yeah yeah um but he was saying a lot of the time he said you you won't believe the microphones we use sometimes do you know what I mean? To get these great, because it's it's about getting the right performance. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like you can have you can you can spend hundreds thousands of pounds. That's great, but actually, you know, um, it, like I said, it's it's about getting that energy down. And and sometimes sometimes you just do just do different things. And he was saying like you you'll be amazed to know what's been done on an SM57 or an SM or a beat up SM58. You, you know, it's it, it's yeah. awesome, and I think you've just got to kind of be open minded about about these sort of things. And like you said about the the NT1A, it's to me, I mean, 
it's probably my Chinese side of things. It's like, I like a good deal. You know, <laughs> when someone says to me, someone says to me like, oh, um, I'll give you an example. So I, I like Chinese food. I like going to Chinatown, right? I love it. It's cheap. It's great. It's, it's what I consider to be like authentic food. And it's probably not authentic when you go out to China, but you know, we're Hong Kong Chinese. We're different. Um, but it, you know, you go to Cantonese food. Now I went to a Michelin starred, um, Chinese. Um, it's the first, I think it was the first Michelin starred Chinese in the UK, Hakkasan, which, you know, they're, they're around the world. And I thought like this, I thought, yes, it probably was the best Chinese meal I've ever had, but it was four times the price of the next best. And it wasn't four times as good. So I'm not sure if I want to come here again or like, or like, it, you know, I'm not going to, therefore, is it actually better? Because, you, you know, it, you know, you have to have, there, there are kind of like economies of scale. And I think that's exactly how I feel about the road NT1A. I'm like, I could spend five times as much, but will I get five times the value? Um, you know, and, and in the, the, in the market of 2021, I mean, you need that money to spend on Facebook ads. Yeah, hundred percent, and not to mention with all the plugins that are available right now, you know you can oh, make yeah. your NT one sound like a much more expensive microphone too in the box. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it also it also it also helps if you can sing and know how to record because I think I think that is do you know do you know that is actually something that um, a lot of people kind of o- overlook like um, you know recording vocals I, I I consider it like an instrument you know. Um, and, you know, the difference it makes, you know, being able to get your takes in time, being able to recreate, like if you do, like to do double tracking, um, you know, to be able to bash out identical takes and, and you know, I think there's a time and place for just doing like one take going all the way through. It depends on what serves the song. Um, but I, I, I tend to find what I like to do is I like to do quadruple tracking. So what I do is I do two kind of regular takes I then do a clean take and then I do a, like an octave down take. But those, the four tracks are by no means, there'll be one track that's the dominant track, but it's just to kind of beef it out a little bit and and to give it texture and and, and do all, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff like that. But what I found is like, when I think about like, when I used to try and record myself when I was, when I was a kid, like, I was crap at it. Like, you know, it's something you, you learn over time. But I think like nowadays, like because the equipment that you can have at home is so good. I think it's, you know, it, it can be quite daunting probably for like the n- new generation when they, when they start learning, but they'll be able to pick this up so, so quickly. And once they kind of learn their craft, like the possibilities are just like endless. Oh, absolutely. That's, there's, there's so much more that like, you know, when you and I were younger, that it just wasn't, didn't exist, right? Like I had a one yeah. of those Tascam four track tape recorders, right? It sounded like garbage. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 mate, I was right there with you, <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it so much. Like, cause I could record, you know, like at the same time, like two guitars and two vocals and have it sound like, a song that was, you know, new for I, I, me. I don't know if you know, um, I don't know if you know the artist Daniel Johnston. Vaguely familiar. Um, so there's a great movie about him called The Devil and Daniel Johnston. And, and you know, he, I mean, he's a really interesting guy. Um, you know, he suffered serious mental illness. I think he was, I think he's paranoid schizophrenic. And there was like, he just, 
just was born to create music but there's this story about him and he's got like a four track recorder but he doesn't like he doesn't know about like digital reproduction or he doesn't know about like you know that you can just take the masters and recreate them so he would basically um make a record and then when he sold out he would then have to like re-record it so there are like huge numbers of versions of the same record out um which I just think, I think that's so cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine like, oh, some some guy needs a copy of my album and, and rather than just take it to the printers, it's like, shit, I've got to do another, you know, I'll just re-record it in my bedroom overnight and then put it out again. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I think people should do that more often. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Having different versions. Um, King Gizzard and Gizzard Lizard Wizards, uh, an ex- a great example of that. Like they, uh, they had a couple albums where instead of releasing it themselves, they just kind of put out masters of it, and then there's different printings of uh, yeah. from like 150 different you know record labels and that kind of thing. I think that's super cool too. It's a little different concept, but like overarching the idea of having all those different versions of the same thing is is really cool to me as well uh, <laughs> and i think it's and i think it sounds like they were consciously aware of what they were doing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they that's also like, that's much yeah. that's accurate <laughs> it is it, it's definitely if anyone has if anybody um is into like music um documentaries um that is one of my all-time faves like it's such a good it's called the devil versus daniel john uh, the devil and daniel johnston and i'll have to check that out that sounds great incredible yeah, <laughs> I love it. I think you can so, get it on YouTube. You can get it on YouTube, but it's got Spanish subtitles. You know, it's like obviously fine. ripped from somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with that. It's great. Um, so you guys have finally made it. You're on your private jet. Um, you know, flying to play a show here in the states, right? And uh, you've got your record collection with you for some reason. The plane's going down. You got enough time to grab three albums to play on your little coconut plowed radio on the island that you're going to be living on for the next few years. <laughs> what three albums are you grabbing? I mean, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking actually getting off the island once I have my patented coconut-powered music media player, <laughs> I will be ready to become some sort of tycoon. Um, so I think... I not only need to find tunes crisis. that are great. I need I need to find tunes that will inspire me to uh, to put this device together. But um, okay, right. Let me think. Um, oh, the thing is, I'm kind of like, do I want to go eclectic or do I just want to go? Yeah, I like what I like. Um, because I mean, it depends how long it's going to take for me to be rediscovered on this island, or if it was like these We're are set. just the three records. I'm going to say it four um, to five years is how long it's going to, you're going to be five there. Five years. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would probably, to stay positive, I would take Andrew WK, I Get Wet. Okay. Because that literally can always cheer me up. Um, I just... I don't know. There's something about it. I, I actually used to hate Andrew WK when he first came out. I was like, I don't get this. I don't get this. I don't get this. And then I, and I went to see the red hot chili peppers and Andrew WK opened and I almost couldn't be bothered to watch the chilies because I was so blown away by Andrew WK live. I just couldn't stop. I was just, like, Oh my God. And I remember watching the chilies and I actually, I actually watched the chilies from the side of the stage that night. And I was still thinking, Oh my God, I've, I've just seen Andrew WK. That was that was like how much of an impact it had on me. 
Um, and I've probably seen Andrew WK play 20 or 30 times. So, yes, I definitely need I Get Wet. Um, okay, other albums. Well, I looked at my... I don't know if you ever looked at, like, your Spotify um, insights and to see which song you've listened or which album you've listened to the most. Um, so I'll go with that. Cause I was looking at it the other day. So I would say, uh, handwritten by the gaslight anthem. Okay. Um, just on the stats, weirdly enough, literally only on that. Um, and then, oof. so I've got like a party bang, bang, bang. I've got a bit of like, uh, you know, we want to be Bruce Springsteen. Um, you know, but in the year 2000. So what else can I go for? Um, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll game the system. I'll go with uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness because then I'm basically getting two records. For the um, first yeah, one. And I love Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> so um, I should have gone with three double albums. I should have gone with three double albums because then I could just be like, boom. Six records. Six records. I'm good. I'm good. Cool. There's some great double albums out there too, but Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is a great one. Um, I love the Pumpkins yeah. too. I so glad I got to see them on the on their last tour because like they did those tours with like the hired guns where Billy just wasn't into it for a few years, and uh, mm-hmm. you know like they didn't have Jimmy on the drums or James on the guitar, and you know I mean they'll never get Darcy back on bass, but that's okay. Uh, but you know, like this last arena tour they did was just absolutely light, not light years better. Um, they're, uh, they're there. Yeah. I saw, um, I saw like, uh, I think a live stream of one of their shows and it, I was just like, um, I think, I think it, it starts with him coming out on his own and playing disarm. And from what I know, like, I think that was kind of like the, 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 the kind of running order for the, for the whole tour. And you see it pans through people in the crowd and people are literally like crying because it, it's the real Smashing Pumpkins on stage. And I was actually like, you know, they are one of my favorite bands and just watching it on, on a, on a fucking live stream. I was like, Oh man, I'm welling up. I mean, I, I, I mean like, I'm a lot more emotional these days. I, I I have two kids. Like my youngest son is only like four months old. So I've still got those kind of like post-birth, like hormone rushes. And it was very much like, yeah, when I watched that, I was like, oh man, you know, I was like welling up and shit like that, which, uh, <laughs> which goes very much against my upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, that's Made, too funny. Makes me feel weird and uncomfortable. Yeah, that's, um, that's not okay. But, you know, it's probably a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, it yeah, is. Being, exactly. being more in touch with your emotions is probably for the best. I don't know how to do that, but I'm trying to learn, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. My my bass Sounds player good. my bass player claims he's a single mother, but he doesn't have any kids. So there's that. All right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's, 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 I, uh, a, yeah. it's a challenge. It's a it's challenge, a but, you know, it's uh, it's all right. It's, um, you, you know, someone said to me, it's not particularly hard. It's just time consuming and monotonous. And I think that's probably true, but very rewarding, you know, probably, probably like working in a factory or something. Yeah. No, that's, that's what children are like. We'll go having children is like, that's the kind of quote you on that. that Having children is like working in a factory. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit. 
And look, it's relentless. <laughs> it's relentless. It's relentless. And you don't, oh. you don't really see. Actually, during the pandemic, during the pandemic, I, um, um, it, I basically like started a company, um, January 2020. Um, so it was literally the worst time possible to do this because by the time the pandemic hit there was like no support for people who had recently started companies and i ended up just shit what am i going to do and i had i had all of my contracts cancelled on you know the days we were going into lockdown and i was like what am i going to do you know and i and i was searching i was searching for everyone was like oh there's loads of jobs in like supermarkets and stuff like that um there weren't any. I probably made about 600 job applications and I got a job working in a pizza factory. And, you know, it really opened my eyes. First off, I thought that a lot more shit in the factory would be automated than it was. I was stunned at how much people were doing by hand. It was crazy. Like, Surely there's a machine for this. Um, some of the jobs that I had, I mean, the best job I had in the factory was um collecting the pizza bases from a storeroom and bringing them to the production line that was the best job i had um there were some other good ones which was um i had to sprinkle pepper on the pizzas for four hours that was that was pretty bad um there was another one where i had to i had to put um four circles of mozzarella on a pizza that was another few hours i mean it was like they need to hurry up and make machines to do this because it's 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 terrible like it was uh and, and the funny thing was i this is this is uh this is kind of like my privileged englishman i was like well they'll see my cv they'll you know I've, you know, I've, I've had managerial experience. I've had loads of life experience. I speak great English. I'm a great communicator. Yeah, it didn't, didn't matter because no one spoke English. <laughs> so like, <laughs> we had these supervisors running around and they were telling us like, they couldn't really articulate what it is we needed to do. So they just kind of shouted until we shouted roughly at you until you figured it out for yourself. It was very, very weird. Luckily, it didn't last very long and things picked up and I, um, I started doing different things, um, started a different company, um, and everything got better, but it was definitely a really big motivation to go, shit, I need to get this band sorted. You know, I need to, I need to do things. Like I can't, I can't do this. This is, this is, this would be terrible. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was definitely an eye opening, eye opening experience. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was it was it was a really good source of uh, of uh, inspiration to write music because like i think i think after that debacle i like bashed out the last we well i bashed out my parts for three tracks that finished the album so uh it was it, you know everything happens for a reason yeah i mean al- allegedly right that's that's what that's what they say but yeah it was it was a similar thing for me like my yeah, main- I, I don't believe i don't believe everything happens for a reason by the way it's just a, it's just a phrase <laughs> I'm yeah. almost yeah, you know, I'm almost I'm, 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 I'm I sometimes dabble in the in the idea that there is even no free will and you're just like it, it's yeah. not that nothing's you know, you know, you just everything's predetermined by like your programming and stuff like that. That's uh, oh, yeah. I, you know, I like to explore lots of different ideas. 
Yeah, same. Uh, but that's that's a, that's that's a place where I live very frequently because, like, let's face it, most of the things that make up who you are are things you have no control over, right? Your name, where you were born, one hundred percent, the religion you were born into, uh, how you're raised, who your parents are, who their parents are, uh, you know, what schools you go to. None of that's within your control. So, how if all that shapes every decision that you make? How do you have any? But yeah, that's that's going for hours about that. And we're here talking about music. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but not musically. This is my favorite part of the show. Uh, it's time for hot takes with Elder Bryson. Um, what's your okay. unpopular opinion? What's your hot take? What 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 do you what's give it to me? What's my what's my sorry my popular opinion? Unpopular, unpopular opinion. opinion. Um. Oh. So oh, oh I've got to be careful. Got to be careful these days. Um. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say, uh, see, the thing is like, we, we always try and be positive and try and be, um, you know, in a, in, a, in such a politically charged climate, just try to try to be apolitical, but that's almost impossible because people just want to make everything about politics. So like the other day we've got, so we've got this new song coming out, um, called time is running out. And we were kind of discussing it and I was kind of like, well, I had a concept for a video, which was like just a picture of a glacier getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we were discussing whether that was political. And it's like, how, how has that, like, I understand that it is, but then you think, how, how have we managed to do that? Like, it, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it kind of blows my mind. Um, okay. Unpopular, unpopular opinion um, is, that um, you can't if you if you rely on other people or if if okay so my thing would be if other people care more about your shit than you do you, like you don't deserve to get anywhere with it oh yeah totally. so yeah that that would be yeah, that would be my unpopular opinion. And you know, no one's going to hand you anything. Like you've got to, you, you know, you know, if if somebody else is more concerned about your well-being than you are, there's a problem. That's that would be my unpopular opinion. Oh, absolutely, and that's that's something like I've experienced a ton of, at least here in the states. Like I used to run this organic sausage company in San Francisco, right? Which sounds wild. I like the idea of that. Right? Yeah, it was great. Um, we like, we had a product I really believed in, like, you know, we had like grass fed organic beef sausages that had a low carbon footprint and all that shit. Right. You know, keep the glaciers big. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, so there was, there were two owners that were this divorced couple and they cared the least of anybody about this company. And then next was the CEO and the CEO was hired to fix the company because they'd broken it. And he was worked like one hour a week and he didn't care that much either because it was like one of 17 companies running, right? So then I was the vice president of operations and then I cared a whole lot more than the CEO, but like in that culture, it's hard to really give that much of a damn, um, especially with every move that I take forward. Somebody above me takes two steps backwards, right? And then the employees that I hired or that had worked there since before me, they were all like gung ho about it. And it didn't make like companies like that don't last. Like all the employees, you know, they, they were like super into it. 
they were paid well. I made sure of that. Um, but yeah, that's all the people we had like cooking the hot dogs and things like that. Like they were like all like, you know, into the, this idea that we were going to change, you know, meat culture from the horror that it is now and factory farming. We were going to, we were going to dismantle it with our hot dogs that we made. Right. We wound up closing down the company because the owner got in a pissing contest with our biggest client. Uh, <laughs> so yeah i guess i guess it's it's that realization that um and maybe uh, maybe this is an unpopular opinion that that you know you work like a lot of people they care so much about like the company they work for but they, they can't accept that the people at the top probably don't give that much of a shit about it and the unpopular opinion is that's probably why they're running it you know, that's probably why they're at the top because you have to be able to make this passionate decisions about things do, right. do you do you know what i mean it's yeah. like the, yeah it's and, it's and you fail upward right funny like that's <laughs> yeah you know yeah you, it's a thing yeah the other the other unpopular opinion i i, I don't know I, I would say is just like um it, 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 the, 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 there's a saying which is um i know i i can i can tell you i can i can show you 99.9 percent of 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 people who feel that they're you know that they that they don't have enough right that never lost a penny but i can't show you any rich person that hasn't lost money on an investment do you know and it's and it's all about risk and reward you know and and what you were saying about kind of you know who you are and shaped who you are is definitely shaped by things you have no control over i think the 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 biggest problem that people face is they don't they're not willing to to take a risk like i remember like when i went to school i was always the kid with my hand up wanting to answer all the questions and i could never understand why people didn't want to answer the questions it would frustrate me and i think it's not because people don't know the answer it's because they're scared of failing in front of people and what you tend to find is very very successful people and i see this in the music industry as well are the ones who were able to jump up there and fail and fail. Now, there are outside factors. You know, if you've got, you know, if you're a trust fund kid or you, you know, you, you know, you'll be able to fail way more times than a kid without means. But that's not the biggest thing. The, the, the willingness to let yourself fail and take risks and, and make the most of opportunities is the thing that, all this, the, the vast, vast majority of successful people have in common. And I think, yeah, you know, this whole COVID situation really made me especially and us as a band go, we've just got to take some risks. You know, we, we can sit around going, okay, well, let's just get the record right and let's let it write itself. Or we can go, no, let's just, let's just power on through now. And, and one of the, and, and I guess a, a real example of this is, look, you know, we're all guys who are in our mid to late 30s. Okay, we're not, you know, what was one of the reasons that we couldn't excel so much with with just a ride? Um, Well, it was because, you know, we've all, you know, like so many people who are trying to do something in the music industry, um, you know, you've got to have a day job unless you're very, very unless you're unless you're incredibly um, lucky in that you have forged a career making music or, you you know, you are fortunate enough to have the means to be able to, to, to finance it and whatever. Um, but what we found was, well, this is our opportunity because 
the one thing that we couldn't really do was play live gigs. And live gigs are obviously like in the pre-COVID world were the best way of kind of reaching out and meeting people other than kind of social media. But then we were like, hey, you know, the, 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 the playing field has been leveled now. No, people can't get out and play. You know, they are going to need to write songs remotely. So let's use the advantages maybe that we've had that, you know, I talked about at the beginning that we're used to doing this and let's, let's push on, let's crack on. And um, we ended up releasing um, a song called I Want to Know last year. And we got really good radio play because there was a, a real lack of new rock music. Um, and I think rock music especially was hit by the pandemic because a lot of rock musicians are like, no, everything needs to be done in the studio. And, and, and y- you know what I mean? Whereas I think like, I think hip hop artists over the years have, have worked out, you know, there is power to being able to make everything in your bedroom um, or there is power, you know, just constantly collaborating with people and using the technology to your advantage. Whereas I know prior to this, like rock musicians might be like, oh no, we can't do like a remote session. We all need to be in the room and vibe together. And of course that there is a benefit to that. And if it was up to me, I would rather do that because I personally think that's better. But you're kind of forced to, to, to like I said, play the, play the hand you've been dealt. And yeah, you know, capitalizing, you know, taking that risk, going for it. That's what you need to do. You need to just sometimes just go for it. And I think that's something that, it, it, you know, it, it's not the easy answer because people don't want to hear that. They, they want to hear that everything's unfair and, you know, they'll eventually, you know, if they wait long enough, the, you know, the, the crumbs from the table will fall to them, but you've just got to put yourself out there. You've got to be willing to lose everything in order to gain everything, you know? And if you're not willing to, you're never going to get those rewards because no one's going to give them to you. Yeah, and that's a very unpopular opinion, but it's one I agree 100% with. Like, it's... Uh, because, yeah, I talked to so many artists. Like, even uh, there's an artist, a friend of mine who I've been, like, working with and kind of producing slash managing uh, lately. And his whole thing is, like, nah, man, I've got, like... There are, like, a thousand people who have seen me live who are totally going to support me in this endeavor. I'm like, man, like, 10% of those thousand people are... You know, you got to keep reaching. You got to keep working. Like it's not, you know, like you got to learn how to use hashtags. You got to, you got to do all these stupid things that are not cool and not art, quote unquote. If you, if you really want to, you know, well, what if I just redefine success? I'm like, well, that's, that's fine. But you know, like that's not what, you know, that's. No, that's not fine. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, like there's nothing wrong with redefining success if that is truly if if it, because because people's goals and their aspirations change all the time. If your 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 redefining of success is because actually you're you, you know that's actually what you want now, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're kidding yourself, you know what I mean? If you're if you're saying, "Well, actually if I achieve this, I'll feel just as good." You won't. You'll feel You'll feel pretty terrible. <laughs> 100%, like my, my favorite uncle, right? He was a phenomenal musician. He was also a phenomenal lawyer. And you can't really do both. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. So, you know, the less risky option was being the top-notch lawyer. And he did very well for himself. And then, like, as he, you know, eventually, you know, as he got older, he'd book expensive studios and record albums with his band. But he didn't. they didn't have the time to market it. They just would record these yeah. albums. And it was fun for them. And that's cool. 
right? Yeah, like. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I mean, this is the other thing as well. It's like for for us, it, it it's about. I mean, when when we got the album, when we did the album, I was like, do you know what? Like, I, I said to the, we, we all sat down and we were like, okay, what what do we want to do with this? Because for me, if you know, I I really um, I think this album I'm most proud of about anything that I've ever recorded. And I said to the guys, I said, listen, if if all we have made is an album that we're going to listen to for ourselves, I'm happy. Like, that's cool. But I'm very much a person that like, I think there's potential. So if we say we, we want to really try and, and do something and achieve something, then if that's what we want to do, then let's go and give it our all. You, you, you know, uh, yeah. and yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it's about having real expectations. You know, I don't expect at the end, you know, I mean, I'd love it to happen, but I don't think we'll be doing an arena tour at the end of this album cycle, no, but, but we've got kind of quite clear goals of what we want to achieve with this album. And I think that, I think if you discipline yourself and you, um, you know, you, you work, you work out a plan of how you're going to get there and you try and implement the plan. And if it works great, if it doesn't, you, you, you learn something from it yeah, and you'll you, use that the next time you tweak the plan until it does work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Keep going. You know, nobody gets it right first time. And you know, and the guy who does, he's a dick. <laughs> no one likes him. No one likes him. He hasn't had any fucking struggle. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. And that's, that's, that's how it works. You know, like so many people, they, they fail one time and they think uh, that's, that's it. Right. I've been, I've been failing at music for like 15 years. I'm still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's just one of those things. I mean, like, I, you know, we've, we've kind of, so I actually work in social media. So that, that nows, which helps. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing trying to explain to people this, you know, what, one of the things that we've talked about as a band is like, oh, you know, you know, oh, you, you know, we're po- do you not think we're posting too much content? It's like, are people not going to get fed up with it? And it's like, the, I think the line at which people get fed up is way, way, way further away for, you know, way, way closer to them than you think it is. Oh, sorry, way further away from them than you actually think it is. Um, And also it's like, but, but I get it because I understand people, people don't necessarily understand like how all these platforms work. So I think it it is, it is um, possible if you believe, and and, and I'm not saying this in a disparaging way, because I think the vast majority of people actually believe this. If you believe that every single one of your followers on Instagram gets every single one of your posts put on their feed on a daily basis. Yeah, that might be annoying, (laughs) but that's not how it works. (laughs) Like, you know, they might get it every three days, maybe, Mm -hmm. or they might get a little burst of posts, Yeah, you know, but it it is, you know, it is, it is set up um, in that way. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's set up to, to, to require you to do what the platform wants you to do. You know, so if you don't play that game, you know, and we were talking about, you know, we, I remember like, again, I, I really love numbers and analytics and stuff like that. Like it's my other passion other than, well, music and cryptocurrency are my passions. But um, like just, just being able to evidence it and go, look, this is, this is how like our Spotify plays are going when we post like every day or every other day and this is how it goes when we post once a week and you know 
Now, you can have a philosophical debate about whether you think that that's what an artist should be doing or whether, um, whether you know, you know, and, and I've and, and you know, we, we do a podcast, which would be great to have you come on. Um, well, we've spoken to a lot of guests about the way the industry is now. How, are we losing artists who don't give a fuck about the business side and they just want to make records? Because like back in the day, you know, you might have the you know this maverick a and r who spots this guy busking and the guy's a genius and that that person has no no interest in you know growing a fan base or whatever but that a and r guy lets the label do the business and they and they give this person the ability to go and make that record to do this and and and, and come up and and you have this musically pure person come through and and i i question whether we miss those people in in 2021 you know um and we can you can talk about whether that's right or not but then at the same time you can talk about well this is the game you've got to play the game that we're playing like you can't you know you can't you can't alter things until you're winning the game you know no you're absolutely spot on about that and uh you know it's you know, there are probably about 40 to 50 people who I think do see my content every day, but they're the people who want to see it every day, right? Yeah. But another yeah. thing I think that we're missing is people don't want to bug people with their content while they're making content that bugs, right? Like there's a huge yeah. difference between posting every day, hey, new album out now, new album out now, new album out now, right? There's a huge difference between that and, oh, hey, this is, this is our guitarist. His name is John. He has a pet corgi. Let's talk about that, you know? <laughs> Yeah. No, exactly. And it's, it's, do you know, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of worked in, in sales and stuff like that before. And it's like, it's, I remember, I remember like training people and it's like, you just, if you tell people they have to have something like they're going to, they're going to shy away from it. Whereas if you're just like, these are some of the experiences you can have, you know, which one would you like? You know, and it's completely cool if you don't want any of them. Yeah. Move on to the next one. Do you know, it's like, cool, I don't make the sale on this one. I move on to the next one. I move on to the next one. I move on to the next one. I I, I think there's, you know, I, I think it's difficult though as well, because I think that's, that as a personality trait serves you very well in the, in the music industry or, or the creative industry in general. But I think it, it's it's at a juxtaposition because if you think about how much you know how much emotion and how much pride and time you know i'm sure you spend in making your music and then the concept of oh yeah but you've also got to be thick-skinned when people just aren't interested in it or they tell you it's shit or they do you know this is like well hang on a second like these two things don't sort of balance off so I think for the, you know, you do find an interesting character who, who is able to do that and, 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 um, and still function as a human being. Cause it, it you know, I, I, I completely accept it, it can be, um, it, it can be soul destroying to get bad feed, bad feedback. But, you know, I, I remember very early, early days in, in, in my old music career, I had a really good tour manager who just said, do you know, don't get down about bad reviews. But at the same time, don't get excited about good reviews. Yeah. You know, it's just someone's opinion. It's just someone's opinion. And, you know, there are more people in the world who hate the Beatles than like them. And they're the most successful band of all time. Like, so 
don't don't worry about it. Just find the people who like what you do and appeal to them. Absolutely. I get you know? way more excited about, you know, uh, somebody like DMing me that's just some stranger I've never met who lives in Texas who tells me that, like, my music reminds them of, like, some of Peter Hook's best work, right? I, I'd way rather hear that than get, like, a, have somebody on, like, Johnny's music blog, you know, like, that I paid a dollar on Submit Hub to say, like, yeah. this, this album feels good. Uh, here, here's the link. I'm like, okay, you know, like it's, 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 it's way different. It's a way different feeling from that. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny cause you know, you start off and uh, more people think your music shit than is good. And then you keep making music and then gradually you reach that tipping point where more people think your music's good than think it's shit. And that's, that's where you want to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would say I would say I don't think anyone's ever got to the point where more people think their music is good than it's shit. But it's just like you've increased the number of people who don't think your music is shit. Um, more people who you I mean, actually, do you know what? Do you know what? The best compliments we had, like when we finished recording our album, right? And this is exactly the sort of thing, right? Because I get it, right? I get it. Producer said to me, said, "Do you know what, Rod? This album, right? People can say they don't like it, but they can't say it's shit." Right. They can say it's not their cup of tea because it's well written. It's well recorded. You know, the performances are good. You know, they can say it's not for them. I don't like it. I don't get it. I don't want to listen to it. They can't say it's shit. And, you know, some of the guys in the band were quite upset by that comment. But I took that as a massive compliment. I was like, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. You know, no. that, that's what you want, you know. And, and this is it. Like, I, I, you know, I sometimes... You know, I, I always like to be positive with people. And I always, you know, at the end of the day, even if something is, you know, technically shit, you know, the fact of the matter is, like, everyone's been there. Like, it, I mean, it, it can get better. If you, if you, you know, you've sometimes got to put the shit out. I remember um, Gene Simmons from Kiss always says, like, you know, just fucking bash out those songs. Bash out a song a day. Get the shit out of your system. You know, because you do you know how you learn to write good songs by writing loads of shit ones. It's like, yeah, that's a that's that's pretty pretty good advice. And at the end of the day, people, um, you know, they're, they're not going to learn. Like you, no one, no very few people. And and it's like the it's like the cliche about you know the overnight success. You know, that took five years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you get this band. It's like their debut album's amazing. It's like I mean, with all like. Like, let's say hypothetically, like we get really good reviews of our debut album. Like, okay, we started writing this in 2015, 2016. Yeah. It's taken five years to write this. I mean, the real test of a band um, is the second album, or, you know, or, 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 or historically, I always used to think, I always used to say like a band, you know, if a band is good on the third album, because that's when they've become, or like, that's when the band is the real band. Do you know what I mean? Because they've done their debut. You have your whole life to write your debut. The second album is the first time you're a professional musician, but you're writing on a deadline. And then you've gone through that. And then the third album, I, I think you just relax and you know your craft and you get it. And I think that's one of my, one of the things I, I just worry about with the music industry over the last sort of 10, 15 years since the advent of streaming and, and how many, how many artists get to the third, the third record. And, you know, back in the day, you know, a record label might make a loss on the first two records because they know it's all about the third album, but that just doesn't, ha I, I just can't conceive of that happening. I think the balance is now that maybe um, 
you know, it's self-releasing and bits and pieces like that. But, uh, you know, it, it balances off slightly. But I think the thing, the thing that I, I love when I think about the old school days of the music industry, it was just that, you know, that those first three albums might take four years to write. And it's like, okay, you know, I think there was lots and lots of things wrong with, with record labels and how the industry was structured. But at the end of the day, the fact that, you know, a label would sign you and essentially give you a salary for four years to develop as a songwriter, like, that's amazing. You yeah. know, probably shouldn't have been fucking over the artist as much as you were doing, but, you know, I'll give you that. You did, you probably allowed some artists to make some great records. Um, but, you know, when, I know people can do it self-releasing, but, you know, yeah, they might get to album three, but they're probably not doing, like, I think most artists that are self-releasing and get to album three, they're not doing this full-time. And I think there's something very freeing about being a full-time musician. And I was very fortunate to have experienced that at, even, at, even at a young age. But you hear stories of, like, um, I don't know if you know a band called Monster Magnet, um, but the, the lead singer, Dave Windorf, um, he, I think it's probably their biggest album, called Power Trip. And the story of Power Trip was just like, you know, the label said, oh, you know, just go and rent a house somewhere for three months and write an album, you know, like yeah. that, that freedom, like, Oh man, that would be the fucking dream. Apparently he just went and stayed in a hotel in Vegas for three months and wrote an album about like <laughs> strippers and gambling. Fucking great album. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But I mean, I think he kind of gamed the system. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. But whatever, who's going to stop him? Then, then you've got your, you know, like your famous, you know, bony very story about the cabin in the woods. Right. And you yeah. Know, girlfriend dumps him. He goes and gets sad and drinks a little bunch and in some cabin in the nowhere, Wisconsin and comes out with a brilliant piece of art. So, you know, there's, there's, there's yeah. all kinds of range to that, you know, uh, how long it takes to, to make a great album, but, it's still possible. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think it is. I, th I mean, it is and it isn't like, you know, there are benefits to like people having home studios and just the fact that, you know, you can just bash it out and, and, and just, 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 uh, um, you know, get an idea. And I mean, you can have like a fully produced track in 24 hours, maybe less, you know, th those are the benefits, like these are the benefits, you know, but it would, I just, I don't know. I just feel like it would be great if you could balance the two worlds. You know, like I think that, you know, it's like anything. It's like, it, you know, you've basically got two different systems and maybe something in the middle. You know, I'm like, I'm just talking like a filthy centrist. Um, you know, no one likes that. No one likes the person that compromises. Um, you know. How dare they? But yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, that's, that's, that's spot on. I can, I can get behind all of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, what what are you? Uh, what's the best show you've ever played? As me as an artist, or as just a ride? Either or. Um. Oh, okay. I think one of the best ever shows um, I played. It was the first ever download festival at Donington Park. Um, and that was, that was a really cool experience. We were on the second stage. Like it was the first time, you know, you play to like 10,000 people. That was, that was pretty good. Um, that'll probably stick in my, stick in my head. Um, but actually with just a ride, we played a show, 
um, a few years ago, just before I moved to Amsterdam. And it was like the, it was, it was just like the perfect thing because obviously it was a, like a bit of a leaving party. So you can kind of pack the crowd, but it was also at like a nice little venue that was busy anyway. So, you know, if, you know, I probably had friends that would never have bothered to come and see the band live um, at that gig, but also like packing out a show that was quite busy. So there was just a really kind of cool energy about it. And because at the time I wasn't sure if I was going to come back from Amsterdam, I kind of thought it might be the last live show. So it was just kind of quite perfect. You know, it's great fun. Like all the people, you know, you have this combination of like playing in front of your friends, people you care about that you want to show them what you do. And I, and I, I think I talked, if we, go back to the beginning of the episode about how there was this kind of almost duality where I felt like I kind of had two different lives. Like I have like people who knew me growing up, who knew me as a music person. Um, and then I had all this, these people that I met through like work and stuff like that, who had never seen me as doing that. And they always, they always thought I was like the cantankerous person. Cause I go to like, we'd go to like a gig or like an open mic or something. And I would just be like, Oh God, this person, Oh no, they're, they're really bad. And I remember people used to come up to me and, and like, the, someone said to me, I was like, yeah, could you go and do that? Would you have the guts to do it? And I was like, well, actually mate, probably could. I just don't want to, <laughs> um, uh, you know, being, you know, you know, that's the kind of like arrogant sociopath coming out of me. But, um, but yeah, no, it was just, it was just really awesome because like, it was, you know, it was like your, your friends were there and then there was just a really great vibe. And it was possibly like knowing that that might be the last time you actually play a live gig. So it was really good energy. It was a really, really good, um, gig. The only thing that was shitty was that the promoter didn't pay us, but I, I could write that off that day. I didn't really care. Yeah, that's 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 common coming up is when the promoter doesn't pay you and there's you don't have a ton of resource all the time or recourse I should say. Uh. And and the other thing that was really cool about it, this this might sound bonkers. I'm not sure if I'm remembering it correctly, but the <laughs> only food that was available at the venue was fondue, what? which I think is just amazing. Rock and that, roll and fondue, no, like yeah, that that's is that's like a middle class dream. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Like, fucking brilliant. I, I want to play a fondue but, spot you know. now. Like, I want to do that. I, that's a goal now. That's a goal I didn't know I had that I now have. Great. Thanks. I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure some kind of, like, legacy era, like, 80s, 90s band could probably market their own rock fondue sets. I, I think Motley Crue could probably do that. Yeah. Um, Mo- Motley Do. <laughs> Motley Do. That would be amazing. I mean, dude, we should just market this to them. Um, like, hey, we got it. So you brought up crypto earlier. You got any good crypto tips? Yeah, uh, bonfire, bonfire token. Go for bonfire. it. Bonfire. All right. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the one I'm liking at the moment. It's it's. I mean, it has had a bit of a hiccup in the last thirty six hours. Not gonna lie. It's a correction. It has had a bit of, it's it's a correction. It's a correction. They've got, they ask me anything tomorrow. It will all pick up. It's fine. But I mean, you know, I don't really care because I got in early enough that it's, you know, it's like, you know, if you're an early adopter, like this is the thing with a lot of, a lot of things that like I talk to a lot of friends and I keep saying, Oh, you know, you should get into this. You should think about this. And, 
and and they're like, oh no, it's too risky. And it's like, yeah, you know, oh, it could collapse. And I'm like, yeah, it could collapse. But the thing is, depending on how early you get in and how much everything has risen when you invested, it doesn't like to me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because uh, you know, the amount I, you, you, you know what I mean? It could drop 80% and I'm still good, you know? Yeah. And it, and it, you know, and I would get out, you know, like, like with this bonfire, it's like, well, okay, it's, it has dropped 50% in the last, let's say 36 hours, but I was at 25 X on the investment. So I can, I can live with 12 and a half. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's not, it's, it's not, it's not the end of the world, but absolutely like you don't get into it. If you a aren't willing to lose everything and B, um, are, well, and, and you can't afford If you can't afford it, don't do it, yeah. you know, but you know, if you just learn, learn to do it, it, it is interesting. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an idealist. Like I, I kind of see what the real benefits what I feel the real benefits of kind of crypto and decentralized finance could be for the world. Um, you know, I can go into that if you want, but it's a bit like, it's a bit deep. Um, but y- y- you know, at the same time, you know, I do just want to get rich as well. So, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it, there's a balance to it, but I, I do, you know, I do strongly believe that, um, that, that it will open opportunities for people you know, just giving people the opportunity to basically have basic banking. I think we take a lot of, you know, I live in the UK, you're in the States. People take a lot of things for granted. They don't realize what life is like for a lot of people in a lot of other countries. And, you know, if this is used correctly, and I don't necessarily think there's any guarantee that it will be, but it could really change people's lives in a positive way, other than just, you know, making, you know, geeks millionaires i think it could actually you know bring real wealth and prosperity to areas of the world that desperately need it um so yeah that i guess yeah it's just trying to be positive as well <laughs> oh, I, I agree with that 100 percent. like i see ripple doing that uh, quite a bit yeah uh, as one example cardano is a really good one as well for that like they're really in like i think they're really that project is really forward thinking um and um, there are so many good things that they appear to be doing. I just say appear to be doing everything. I, I caveat everything, but you know, this is kind of, uh, it, 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 it could be a sea change, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and this is, this is a terrible thing. Actually, I told I, I was talking to a, uh, um, to a friend of mine who, you know, we, we both got into bonfire quite early. Um, when I say quite early, I mean, we're talking about like, this is, this is only a few weeks old, this currency, but it, it's done, it's done really, really well. And we were like, I can't believe, I mean, I must've texted 50 or 60 people about it. And everyone just goes, Oh no, no, no. Oh, you gotta be careful. And I'm like, and it goes back to this idea of like risk and reward. Like, you know, you need to do, you, you know, you need to put risk in. But then when I think about it and you're thinking, well, you know, if you're talking about these, these, these early stage coins that can go up, you know, they can go up a hundred fold. You only need to put $20 in and you could make a decent. So, so you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you know, I, and listen, 
I don't want to knock it because maybe maybe for some people that even that they can't afford to lose and therefore they shouldn't. But people just knock it quite 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 quickly. But then I was talking about like um, why logically someone might think that this is a bit of a scam, right? Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, you need to. So I was like, I was we were like talking about like this hypothetical conversation, and I'd be like, hey, um, you know, hey, Elder Bryson, right? have you, you know, do you want to buy this coin uh, bonfire? And you would go like, oh yeah, okay, cool. So how do I do it? How do I, you know, how many dollars is the coin? I said, like, well, well, first, what you need to do is you need to um, download, you know, you need to get get a Binance account and you need to buy Binance coin. And you're like, oh, is that the coin you're talking about? <laughs> no, 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 no. So and you'd be like, so hang on a second. This is this is the equivalent of you, you know, when you go to Disneyland and they try and sell you Disney dollars. It's like you're trying to sell me a currency that I can only use here, like, but I can still use my dollar to buy things. Where the fuck would I do that? And you're like, yeah, okay. So if you manage to get them past this hurdle, what you then have to do is you then have to say, okay, so you've got your Binance coin. Uh, oh, and by the way, you know, they'll charge you a fee or something. So you're saying, well, hang on, my dollar. My dollar amount has reduced now. So let's say it's $100 and now it's, you know, $97. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And then what you got to do is like, you've got to go and you've got to download this thing called Trust Wallet. You're like, Trust Wallet? Are you fucking nuts? <laughs> like, this sounds, this sounds ludicrous. Trust Wallet. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, the man told me to get the Trust Wallet. Like that, you, you know, it's like, I'm not a racist, but like that is, it's the digital equivalent of that. Anyway, and then then if they do decide to download the trust wallet, right? Um, and people often like they get really they get really like skitty on the old like oh and we've and we've got like twelve phrases you need to put in order and then you need to write <laughs> it down somewhere. Don't take a photo of it. So you know th- these are these are things where like normal people are like this sounds fishy, doesn't it? And then once they've got the trust wallet and they've got their fucking, you know, 12, 12 word, you know, gibberish password that they can never digitize. Right. You go, OK, cool. So what you now need to do is you need to, you know, you've got those Binance coins. Well, what you need to do is you need to t- change it from Binance coin into Binance smart chain. Like, sorry, what? Oh, and they're going to charge you commission to do this again. It's like, hang on a second. You've, you've already charged me to turn my dollars into this other currency. Now I need to turn it into another one, and you're going to charge me commission again. Yeah, 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 but it's really cool. So <laughs> let's say you manage to take them through that. Then what you say, you say, right, now that you've got the Binance Smart Chain, what you need to do, open Pancake Swap. So, so what? <laughs> pancake Swap. So am, am I... Am I pronouncing this right? Yeah, pancake swap. And when you open it, there's a fucking, like, it's an icon of, like, three pancakes. And what do I need to do now? And now what you need to do is you need to go onto, you, you need to... Ladies and gentlemen, apparently my computer didn't like what we were talking about when it came to cryptocurrency, so it shut the conversation off. But if you want to know more, check out uh, madtoken.org and uh, Bonfire Token. Uh, I think those are worth checking out. Sorry about the loss of signal here. I hope you all are having a great day. And this has been I Like Your Style.